Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Heather Jackson. Heather is a professional triathlete and now trail and ultra runner who splits her time between Bend, Oregon and Tucson, Arizona. Heather joins the Single Track Podcast today to talk about her seriously impressive debut ultra race at the 2022 Hobbling 100. She talks about her decision to put her triathlon career on pause in favor of mountain ultra trail running as well as gravel biking. Uh, we talk a bit about her ideas for the 2023 season and much, much more. One thing before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, Kodiak Cakes, and Inside Tracker. Simply go to the show notes section of this episode in your podcast player for some of the best deals on all of their products. Thanks for your support. And with that, let's get started. All right, Heather Jackson, it is a pleasure to meet. It's a pleasure to have you on the Single Track Podcast as well. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's uh, it's an honor to be asked to be on this. So I really appreciate it. Excited to be here. And I, I do want to talk about the Havelina 100 in just a second. Um, but the first question I wanted to ask you, we, we recently had Des Linden on the show. And Des is obviously famous. She's beloved in the marathoning road world scene. And when she decided to dip her toes into the trail running world, one of the first things I asked her was, have you, have you gotten a lot of comments or interest from your fan base in the road world about what this whole ultra and trail thing is about? And I guess I want to throw that to you as well. Like since finishing Javelina, you put up that awesome YouTube video. Have you had any curiosity from your fans about what this whole scene is like and, and what it can take for them to get involved as well? Oh my gosh. I think it's, so funny and so amazing that you're starting this out talking about Des because Des has been literally one of my absolute favorites in all the sports I follow. I mean, I follow so many sports and just the endurance world. She literally, when I first started watching marathoning over 10 years ago, um, when I was just out of college, she ran, I can't remember what race it was, but it looked like she was in basketball shorts. And I was like, this girl rocks. Like, that's so cool. And I have been a fan ever since. And I've been lucky enough to actually meet her and her husband um, actually races triathlon um, and also now races a bunch of gravel races as well. So I was able to see both her and her husband, Ryan, at uh, the Unbound 200 mile gravel race this year, which was so cool. She was, right on. I finished and she was at the finish line drinking a beer. She actually handed me her beer. She's like, you need this more than me. So that was so cool. And then actually, yeah, I listened to your podcast with her. Just anytime I see a Des Linden podcast pop up, I'm like, oh, Des. So that was so cool for me to listen to and, and hear of her interest in the trail world as well. Um, in terms of the triathlon, I guess, kind of world, I've certainly gotten quite a few questions about just what it was like. I think the biggest question I keep getting is which one, wh which, which is harder, Ironman or the 100 mile running race. So <laughs> that's been the big one. I think I think the 100 miles probably scares even those who race Ironman distance races. Um, it's just, yeah, it's such a big unknown. But um, I've certainly, I feel like, gotten a lot of people being like, oh, my gosh, like, how was it? What was it like? Um, so I think the interest is there. I think, yeah, maybe we'll get more and more triathletes coming over to, to give it a try. <laughs> 
And we'll, we'll make sure to link to the YouTube video that I think your husband Wadi made. It's excellent. And he gets that moment of you crossing the finish line and the background music kind of blares it out, or maybe it's Jubilee shouting into the microphone, but you say something along the lines of like, that might've been the hardest thing I've ever done. And does it still seem like that? Oh, for sure. I appreciate that on the YouTube. Um, yeah, my husband puts a lot of work into the the editing and trying to tell the stories. So um, yeah, capturing that finish line. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, it was and remains now that my head is actually functioning in a little clearer, the hardest thing I've ever done for sure. It's crazy. I mean, I've competed in a lot of sports all through my life, all growing up. I've done, you name a sport, I've probably done it maybe. I mean, I hadn't done an ultra trail run, but um, yeah, I got to that finish line and by far the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> One of the recurring themes on this show is just my personal fascination with what it takes to be a professional athlete in the mountain ultra trail running scene, but in your case, extending the triathlon as well. And you're an excellent case study in my opinion. And I'm curious, dating back to when you first got into the sport, uh, was it always a mission for you to do this full time? And as an extension of that, have you enjoyed the experience of just doing this to the exclusion of like some other career? Oh, I mean, I am so grateful every day that I get to do this as a career. Um, I've been racing almost 15 years now as a professional triathlete. Um, and I certainly didn't get into the sport with that goal in mind. I was just out of college. So I played sports all growing up um, through junior high and high school. And then into college, it was primarily soccer and ice hockey. So mainly team sports. Um, I went on to play ice hockey in college. Um, so that was my athletic background. Um, and then I just happened to go to a triathlon with my parents um, when I was at home in, I grew up in New Hampshire, home in New Hampshire, literally right after college. So I kind of, I guess, stumbled into the sport. I certainly wasn't going through, you know, four years of college to, um, yeah, striving to be a professional triathlete. I didn't even know what it was really until I tried that first one. And so, um, to then, I guess, make it my career. Um, I turned professional about a year later. So I raced a few, I raced a season as an age grouper. I was teaching ninth grade world history for a year, um, nice. and kind of jumped, jumped into, um, some triathlons and, it was then, so I was 24, I met my now husband, Wadi, who was working in the sport. Um, and so he is the one that encouraged me to just, he's like, you're so strong. You're an amazing athlete. I think if you put focus towards this sport, you could really make a go at it. You can always go back to teaching. And of course, I'm young. I'm, I wasn't necessarily enjoying the teaching at the time. It was, I enjoyed the teaching. It was just, it was hard. I was 24. I was teaching 14 year olds. Um, <laughs> so not the biggest age difference. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I feel so grateful that that happened in my life that I met my now husband and he gave me that support all the way back then and yeah. turned pro. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward 15 years through a lot of triathlons later. <laughs> Super cool. Well, I was listening to your conversation with Devin Yanko on the Women of Distance podcast, and I think she talks towards the end of the conversation about how there's a lot of growing pains in our sport in terms of being a pro and 
a lot of people at the top end of the sport have to like co- kind of cobble together various sponsors to make it work. When you got into the tri scene, was there already, I'll call it like a formula for professionalism or did you and Wadi really have to brainstorm and kind of create something out of nothing and do something similar to how I think athletes are experiencing it in our sport? I, it's funny you say that because I think there is certainly a pretty, I think, laid out method now in the sport of triathlon, but early, early on, um, this would have been pre a lot of the social media. I just, um, pre YouTube, pre like people putting out all this content, um, is when I got into it. So this would have been 2009, 2010. And so I remember early on, um, we used to do this like Google blog spot basically. And it was like common for people to, you do a race and then, um, you'd have to write your race report and put that up there. And that was kind of the content that was going out post races. But, um, my husband coming from his marketing background, he is, yeah, he's the creative of us. He's very creative. He's always about the marketing, about how we can, I guess, give back to our partners, how we can stand out. Um, you have to race, you have to get results. You have to, um, do that side of, sport as a professional athlete, but you also need to represent yourself. You need to do the marketing and give back to the partnerships. And so I feel lucky that he's always ingrained that in me. And we've always tried to like, okay, how can we support the partners supporting us? And how can we, I guess, present ourselves out there um, in the best ways possible? And so, yeah, early on, it was the blog spots. And then I remember Twitter came around and then Instagram. And um, we, I think, yeah, we're very early adopters to all of these different platforms that are now very commonplace for everyone to be on. But early on, I mean, I remember my husband had one of those uh, flip cams and he would follow me around early on at travel <laughs> just to like film and put content out. And we would like put up those little like 10 second Twitter videos and just, yeah. So um, I think, yeah, on the marketing side of things and bringing some of those pieces into I guess, ultra trail. I mean, I'll continue to, to kind of do the same sort of things we've done in triathlon and then hopefully capture, I guess, the journey into some of the trail running is, is obviously the, the plan, but it's funny you say, um, maybe like cobbling together things and lack, not lack of content in trail, because I was going to comment that I think some of the content out there. I mean, I guess I'm speaking mostly about YouTube, a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So I, th- I think there's so much content um, out there in the trail world, which for me is amazing, which is largely what has also drawn me over. I mean, the events look amazing, but um, the fact that I've been able to, I guess, follow so many characters in the sport and and just, yeah, follow their journeys and follow them at these big races or training for them and lead ups and things like that. I love that. I love seeing people's adventures. So yeah, I think it, I think there are quite a few out there in the trail scene, I guess, doing that. I I love what you're doing with the YouTube channel. And I do, one of the reasons why I'm excited that you're at least temporarily making the jump over to ultras is you have an awesome YouTube presence and your YouTube. And I think Lionel Sanders's YouTube has been my personal gateway to the Ironman and triathlon world. And it's funny how um, you know, athletes in various sports can kind of pick a platform and it makes the most sense for their audience. And, and, and maybe you can fact check me on this, but there's just, it doesn't seem like there's many individual athletes 
in the trail running space that are leveraging the YouTube vlog format like you are or like Lionel is or uh, Tim O'Donnell. And uh, I think that, that that's a super cool way to communicate with the audience. So I don't know. That's oh, more of a comment. I appreciate that. No, I love, oh my God. I love Lionel too. That's, he's kind of Lionel. And then also, um, we're really good friends with Eric Lagerstrom and Paul. Yes. Kennedy, they have, uh, their YouTube vlog called, um, that triathlon life. So I would say Eric's primarily the one that taught Wadi a lot of the editing skills that he has now. And, and I guess setting that up and getting it going. But, um, for us, yeah, it's just like, I try to keep in mind what I like when I'm watching say Lionel's videos or Eric and Paula's videos or other people's videos. It's like, what, what makes me be like, Oh, that was super cool. And then we try to obviously take that into our own lives and put our own spin on it of like, okay, what, what do we want to share with the world as well? And I think at the end of the day, it's people just want that inside look um, on people's lives. Like you can put out your training, people can load their files or Strava or all the different things, but like they want to see what you're doing day to day. And so just to, mm. to share your journey with people and then it makes them feel closer to you. Like they're, they've been with you on the journey and they're invested and they want to see the results. They see all the hours you put in and they're a hundred percent behind you at races because you've taken them along with you. And so for me, it's a win-win because I'm able to share things um, about the partners I work with, the products I use, but then I have these, you know, people who are just supporting me because they've, yeah, again, feel like they've been on the same journey. So it's, it, for me, I've, it's been really rewarding and fun and just really appreciative of the people that I get to meet at these races that are like, oh, we watch your YouTube. I'm like, oh, awesome. Thank you. Like, <laughs> well, from, and I think it was your conversation with Devin. You mentioned having this great conversation with Pat Regan before Javelina. You mentioned being a, a fan of, of Dez's content. I get the sense that you, you're you kind of a student of the sport, which is super cool. Are there any other people in the trail and ultra scene that you've enjoyed following over the years, whether it's been around like Western States or UTMB that come to mind? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I was trying to trace back to my earliest interests of the trail running scene. And I have to say that it would have, I think I followed it earlier than 2019, but in 2019, um, in, I think it was around November cause it was around this time frame. It was the off season. Um, Hoka held an athlete summit. Um, it was up in Scottsdale, Arizona, and they brought in all their athletes, triathletes, road runners, track, um, and trail runners. And so I was able to meet Pat at that athlete summit. I was also able to meet, um, Tim Tollefson there. And so hmm. I want to say that Tim was probably the first athlete I really started to follow. Um, I, Wadi and I had this amazing conversation that just went on and on with him about, I was like, how do you even train for these things? Like you just, you're running a hundred miles. Like, do you run a hundred miles in training? Cause for me and Ironman, like I've done blocks where I've run up to a marathon in a training right. run. So, and I'm like, is that, I was just so fascinated by how you even prepare for something like a hundred miles because I know what it takes to train for an Ironman. So back to your question, I think Tim was one of my first, I guess, athletes I followed. And then I have obviously sense with all the stuff they put out, um, you know, leading into Western States this year, all of his different content. I, I love it. And just knowing him personally, um, mm. since I don't know too many, I guess, 
individuals personally in the sport, just Pat, Tim, and then um, obviously I, not obviously, sorry, but I'm partnered with Hoka and Wahoo. And so I've followed all the content they've been doing on Jim Walmsley and kind of that, that stuff over in uh, Chamonix and UTMB, which again, I've never, I've done one race. So I'm still feel like I'm learning. I feel like I study this sport, like you mentioned, but like, I feel like I have those two, it looks like there's Western state style. You have um, that sort of mountain trail running. And then you have the UTMB style, which looks, you know, completely, uh, completely different. Obviously nothing I've, I've done uh, with my one experience at Havelina, but um, I guess following, following those stories. And then obviously, not obviously, but I mean, Courtney, I feel like any, any sporting athlete who you don't even need to say their last name, like Des, I could say Des, people know, or like Courtney in trail running. I mean, I've never met her. I just, I follow her. I follow her content on YouTube and all of her amazing accomplishments. And she's just looks as an outsider looking at the sport, just so like chill and nice and fun. Like she enjoys everything she does. And puts out just these stories, shares her stories um, out there. So I would say those, um, those three, Pat, Tim and, and Courtney, but then, mm. oh, and I also wanted to bring up um, just this random connection long, long time ago. Um, I got the opportunity to work with Dylan Bowman. Um, he was working for Hypoxico at the time and we were looking for an altitude tent. This would have been. I saw that in your video. That was super cool. Thanks. Yeah. We've, I mean, that everyone always asks about it. I'm like, okay, we've had that. He, I worked with him in order to get one of those like over 10 years ago and had followed him ever since. It was when he was one of the, it still is a star in trail running, but had had some major accomplishments. And so I think actually he might've been the first one that I followed um, in trail running. And now all that he does with his content, run free trail, um, all that stuff. That's yeah, I think he does a great job with putting content out and sharing stories. And so um, I would I would probably mention Dylan as well as uh, someone who has, I guess, drawn me into the community, the trail oh, running. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> a, a little bit of an aside, but has has the altitude tent been beneficial to your training? Do you see that as like a staple in terms of preparing for, I don't know, a race in our sport like the Leadville 100 where you're racing above 10,000 feet for miles upon miles? Yeah, I think it's going to probably come into play big time. I'm primarily, so we had it a long time ago, kind of used it um, here and there and then took it down when uh, we were spending a lot more time up in Bend, Oregon, which isn't super high. It's only at about 4,000 feet, but um, it was kind of one of those, like you got to weigh the benefits of sleeping in the tent because it can get super hot. You might not get as good as sleep. And so Mm. We brought it back out for my prep this year for Ironman St. George, which was in May, which um, I would always go to that race, um, I guess, from Tucson, which is lower, even though St. George, Utah isn't that much higher. But I was still every time I raced there struggling. And so we were kind of like, well, we might as well try the tent and see if it helps at all. Um, I can't say definitively that I felt a difference there. I struggled again this year uh, in May, unfortunately, but um, I do plan, we, we've kept it up. Obviously it's in the videos. It's just still up over the bed, but <laughs> I definitely plan to use it for, um, uh, yeah, I'll be racing Leadville this year. So, um, Leadville, sorry, the bike race, um, 
uh, in, I think, August. So, um, and then possibly some other high altitude um, races that I think we'll see. <laughs> Let me report back to you next summer. <laughs> right on. Well, you mentioned there that you split your time between Bend and Tucson, which I find fascinating. And I'm wondering if you can talk for a bit about how that dual setup came to be and how you use both locations to train for uh, all of your athletic endeavors. Yeah, thanks. No, we, f- we feel super, super fortunate with the split um, in terms of, I-, I guess, rewind. We started going to Bend, Oregon, um, would have been 2009, maybe 2010. Um, this was right around the same time that I met Wadi. Wadi at the time was living in San Diego um, and I moved to, to live with him down there. Um, and for me coming from New Hampshire, I just, I kind of missed the green, like trees, pine trees, trails, like just lakes, just that's what I grew up with. And my brother, um, who he's a year younger than me, but he had moved to Bend early, early on when Bend, Oregon's microbrew scene was blowing up. And so he was actually one of the first brewers for, it's called 10 Barrel Brewing. Yeah. Um, and he moved out there after college, um, it would have been 2007 or 2008. And so Wadi and I started going up there to visit him. And um, it would have been during the off season, like Thanksgiving time, and we would bring mountain bikes. And it, if you've ever been to Bend, the trail scene in Bend is absolutely amazing. And we would just get out on mountain bikes and um, just, it was, I fell in love with it immediately. And we happened to be there. Um, it would have been right after the market crashed in whatever that was, 2008, 2009. Yeah. And I'm just out of college. So, I hadn't had no experience with home buying or, you know, markets or I didn't study that or anything. And for we coming from San Diego, we were like, oh, my goodness, you can get a house for cheap up here because it was literally after the crash. And so I convinced Wadi, I'm like, I don't want to be in San Diego. I love it up here. My brother's up here. And we put an offer in on a house and got it um, just because, yeah, so many houses were in foreclosure because of the crash and so many things. So again, just, I feel like we got so lucky with that purchase. So that was, yeah, 2009, I think 2010, we moved to Bend. So we were primarily out of Bend and then it would have been, I think 14 or 15, we started coming down to Tucson um, for Kona prep when I made the jump up from half Ironman to Ironman distance. And so um, we would come here for heat prep. Um, And if you come here to Tucson in August, it is hot. It's very hot. Yes. <laughs> and it can be humid. A lot of people don't realize that, but we get the monsoons. And so it's, it really is ideal preparation for Kona um, every October. So that kind of became our routine. And um, the market's gone up a bit since 14 or 15, but we realized after a couple years of renting down here, you could, you could get a place down here in Tucson really, really cheap. Um less than what we were paying for a, a six week VRBO every time. So yeah. uh, we ended up getting a spot down here. It would have been, I think 15. Um, so yeah, I would say now over the last six years, um, we kind of, the, the time split has become more and more even. It used to be very much bend and then Tucson for just weeks here or there. But now we spend a lot more time down here just in the desert. It's great riding, great, great training, great weather year round. So <laughs> Super cool. And like 
with with the Tucson setup, it just plays perfectly, I would imagine, to races like Javelina, Black Canyon, these hot western states, these hot races, and then with Bend, maybe more traditional, higher alpine-ish trails and getting up into the Pacific Northwest area, like a lot of optionality if you want to set your race schedule one way or another each year. Oh, it... I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, that's literally what I'm trying to plug in right now. Just looking at all the events of like, oh, look at this one or that one. And there are so many events around both locations um, that, yeah, I could maybe plot out depending on where we're going to be. But the heat is for sure. Yeah. Talking to Pat before Havelina, that was one of the biggest things he kept bringing up is being prepared for the heat. And I was like, okay, well, I had just done a massive heat block in preparation for Kona. So I felt fortunate that that just had Mm. literally happened just at, you know, not having planned ahead for Havelina. So I was like, okay, phew, at least I have that base covered um, (laughs) to take one of the, I guess, worries or unknowns off of the the Havelina plate. (laughs) Before we get into Havelina, I want to talk a bit about your decision to put a pause on the triathlon scene and and to get into ultra running. And I guess the question that I've always wanted to ask you, at least since I heard that you were making the jump, um, you hear a lot about elite athletes in any sport. It could be basketball, soccer, football, running. They tend to cling to their, their sport. They cling to their craft until well beyond their prime or their high performance years. You seem unique to me because you're, you're still high performing in the Ironman triathlon scene, but you're exiting the sport really for reasons of, of curiosity, if, if I understand that correctly. So um, is, is it true that maybe the sport didn't appeal to you like it once didn't? And can you talk more about this in detail? Uh, yeah, I, well, obviously first I appreciate that. Um, just, yeah, truly appreciate that. Um, I guess I was trying to think of a way to, yeah, tact, tactfully put it, um, in terms of, I think the sport has definitely changed. It's changed a lot since I first got into it. Um, and that certainly has, um, has encouraged my, my decision to make that jump, um, away from, yeah, away from the Ironman racing. I mean, I think firstly, I've always been, you know, very interested in, in the trail scene, also racing some gravel, getting off road. And early on, I used to race some Xterra events. So early in my career, I have raced off road and I, I have always just felt that that sort of racing and that sort of environment, um, has suited, would have suited me more. Unfortunately, Xterra wasn't that big in terms of, um, yeah, the racing scene, but, I mean, my favorite race in all of my triathlon career has been wildflower triathlon, which half of that run is off road and you're outside, you're camping, you're with friends. It's this festival feel and it's just fun. And for me, that's what the getting into the sport was always about. And I think early in my career, it had that feeling. It had that grassroots feeling like you're coming to these events, everyone's there enjoying each other. Very, very similar to how Havelina felt to me and some of the gravel events I went to this year where it is about the racing. It's about high performance and being your best out there and preparing for the day. But it's also about this is life that we're living. And it's about the whole weekend you get to experience and look back on. And um, I think having done this sport of triathlon for so long, it's just almost on repeat for me now. And it's Mm. 
the same thing over and over. And it, I've kind of lost that, I guess, excitement of, you know, getting to the events and having those butterflies. I mean, I still get nervous before starts, but it was, it was just on repeat and I had lost that kind of, yeah, I guess excitement you could say. And I think also, at least on the professional side, it really is changing. Um, we've had the introduction of the PTO, the professional triathletes organization, which is doing an amazing job elevating the sport professionally and bringing money into the sport for professionals. But part of that comes with um, broadcasting our sport and, and like the media around it. And in order to broadcast, say, an Ironman event or these longer distance events, what comes with that is making these looped courses or courses on racetracks. And it, it's very, um, I don't know what the word I want to use is not sterile, but it's not what I got into the sport for. I, I would see races like Kona or Ironman Lake Placid or Wildflower, these incredible adventure type looking courses, not like head down and do 30 laps um, at this exact power heart rate, like the very specifics, which is what high performance requires. But mm. um, for me, I've, I've just done it for so long. And I also am missing that like excitement and the adventure and the, yeah, going to new places. And it just became very, I guess, on repeat for me. And so it was just for me. Yeah. I, I appreciate you saying still high performing as a professional athlete. And I wanted to see what I could do while I still have something to give at the highest level um, in some of these other sports that I've, yeah, I guess followed and watched and been so curious about. So um, versus I could probably race triathlon another two, three, four years with, right. um, I don't know, like, some, some different results. If I picked races correctly, things like that, but it, that's not what it, it's about for me. It's, I want to see what I can do at some of these things that really are look amazing to me. Well, it's, it's just, it's both fascinating and cool to me that you place such a high value on, like you said, curiosity and challenging yourself and reinventing yourself maybe over other values like and not that this is being threatened, but like professional security, like you could just like rest on your laurels and keep doing the Iron Man scene for two, three, four more years and nobody would bat an eye, but you're being proactive about like, now, like I'm not like feeling it and training anymore or racing and it's, it's time to try something. New. I think that that's super cool. And it's an interesting model for any other athletes that might be feeling the same way you are either in trail running or the Iron Man world or whatever it may be. Super cool. Oh. I really appreciate that. It's yeah, it's, it's taken a few years. I won't lie. I mean, I had thought about this a couple of years ago and I was still hesitant because of what you're saying. It is a little bit of a like, wow, I'm walking away from, you know, I I've got this kind of groove going with Ironman and a, a steady, yeah, partnerships and everything. And so again, I have to thank my husband who is like, you're not happy. You're not enjoying it anymore. You're just on repeat and like every day, here we go again. So it was one of those like, yeah, I mean, you have one life and if you're not happy, um, what are you doing? I mean, it, yeah, anything could happen tomorrow. I mean, and so for me, it's, I think COVID played a big role in it too, where it's like anything could be taken from you at any time. So like, really just making the most of every day out there. And so getting into these new things that I'm, I've been able to enjoy this year has been, yeah, so reinvigorating and 
new outlook on life and positive and yeah, it's just, I've really enjoyed it. And, and I feel like I'm in a really good spot. So I'm just, yeah, happy. <laughs> Moving to Javelina just for a second. Um, I want to talk about what the month of October looked like for you, which from a spectator standpoint was just absolutely bonkers. You, you did Kona, you did the big sugar gravel race in Bentonville, Arkansas, and then you did Javelina. And you had, I mean, in my opinion, you had an amazing day. Like you, you, led the race, I think for 70 miles, you still finished top five. It was your first, I believe your first ultra ever, like 50 K 50 mile ever. Um, but before we get into like the details of the race, how did you feel heading in given the workload you'd already put in for the month with those other two events? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Cause I didn't actually process what we had just done until after, I guess, all three of those events were done. Um, I guess coming into October, my main focus was Kona because I knew in my mind that was going to be my last Kona. I just, I wanted to go there. I really wanted to have a good day. Um, I struggled in the end on the day, but I had full focus on Kona um, in my preparation. And the three months leading in was, yeah, very high performance, getting ready for that race as, as, I've done in the past and how I know gets me to that start line ready. So not that big sugar and Havelina, well, Havelina wasn't even on the radar at that point, but big sugar, I knew we were going to, but it was also just kind of, um, yeah, more of like ending the season at a fun gravel event. We have friends in Bentonville, Arkansas. I hadn't really put too much weight on it. It was more going to be this end of year trip post Kona. So first it was all eyes on Kona and then, Kona um, came, went, and we had a few days thereafter um, relaxing. My family was there and we were all laying on the beach and I had pulled up the Havelina race because at the, we did an athlete signing for Hoka. Um, and so at, at the athlete signing, uh, I had this long chat with um, the, my contact there, Mike McManus, who Mike, yeah. he, uh, I had told him like, you know, we're looking at doing some new things. Um, you know, triathlon might not be the main focus anymore. And he still kind of trying to let all of our partners know the direction I was thinking of heading and he couldn't have been more excited for me. And that alone was like, Oh, wow. Like, thanks Mike. Cause I, yeah, it's, you never know, right. You have support as a triathlete. And so Mike was like, Oh my goodness, HJ, you have to come to Havelina. It's in a couple of weeks. Um, just come up and check it out. And you could even do the jackass race, which was the one loop um, court or one loop of the race at 6 p.m. Like, you know, everyone's out. It's it's fun. So that's how the whole Havelina um, discussion started, literally at Kona. And so mm -hmm. I raced Kona and then I was looking at it on the beach after and I was like, oh, that looks super cool. And to me, um, to answer your question, no, I... I had, I've never done a trail race. So, uh, that was my first one. And for me, it was such a big unknown, um, across both of the distances offered at Havelina that I was like, well, why wouldn't I just, I guess, sign up for the, the five lap versus the three lap just, and maybe I get through three and that's it. Or I don't know. I, I had no idea at all what to expect. And so for us, it was like, 
Wadi's like, well, Mike wants to know which one you want to do. I'm like, well, I guess I should just sign, do the, the hundred mile. I mean, isn't that the ultra or I guess I still didn't even know the, <laughs> the terms. Like, I guess it's all ultra, but the ultra ultra. <laughs> well, like I was saying, for the vast majority of the day, I believe you were running right around Camille Heron's course record at that race, which, and there are a lot of ultra running nerds that listen to this show, and it's widely recognized as one of the one of the best course records in our sport. Um, before we maybe talk about like what happened in the last 50K, can you talk about what was going really well for you over those first maybe three, three and a half laps that you, you thought was going to be the case, but then maybe there were other elements that surprised you as well. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess, yeah, my, I was surprised. I surprised myself by, I guess, lasting that long, not lasting that long in the lead, but lasting that long feeling. Okay. Um, mm. and I think it came down to, if you look at the timing, it was approximately the same time as an Ironman. So I think I've just been trained for so long at um, the Ironman, I guess, time frame-ish. So eight, nine, 10 hours mm. that I'm used to, I guess, exercising or racing, not exercising, but racing that long. I'm not used to running that whole time. But for me, um, I got through the first lap, which was completely by feel. It felt like I was out for a Sunday long run. Um, I was with a group of some of those front guys. And yeah. I have done some of my Sunday long runs with, I'm good friends with Ben Hoffman, a fellow Ironman racer here in Tucson, Eric Lagerstrom. Um, so for me, I literally was like, Oh, okay. I'm out. I'm out for a Sunday run with the Hoff. Like I was just pretending I was with some of these friends I train with. So it was all by perceived effort and feel. And for 20 miles, it felt, it felt fine. Um, and then that second lap, I was like, okay, you're about to, you're going into the unknown. I've never run longer than 26 miles. So my legs still felt fine then. And I kept thinking, okay, like this feels like you could just keep going like this. Like it was all just, um, yeah, I guess again, just perceived effort. Um, I was mainly focused on the fueling. That's a big part of Ironman. So I'm, yeah. I already have that ingrained in me of, um, you nailed it, right? Like it felt great. <laughs> The fueling, I never, yeah, I never really felt down. I mean, I had my, um, I am partnered with Wahoo. Um, I had my rival watch on the auto lap every mile. Every mile I was just taking something in, drinking, fueling. Um, that is such a big part of Ironman. So for me, it was kind of second nature um, for, yeah, those first, second, third laps. Third lap, I could tell it was going to be important. I couldn't, I guess, judge whether it was, my energy levels going because I knew I was slowing or it was my legs. And mm. I got all the way up to the jackass junction, which is halfway through the laps um, on that third lap and started on the downhill part, which it isn't even, I keep saying uh, the downhill section, but I guess for trail runners, they're probably like, that's not even that downhill. Um, it, it's a slight downhill, I guess. It's not like we're, we were on a mountainous course, but my, legs felt like I was pounding down a 10% grade down. <laughs> they just yeah, were shattered. So I think that's where that, I guess, endurance in terms of pounding of the legs kicked in. 
And I was out, for context, I was out there uh, pacing and crewing my buddy, Brett Hornig, who I think might have been running in, in a similar pack with you for most of the day. And just seeing you come in and out of the aid stations, you looked totally unfazed by the heat as well. Like you looked totally heat adapted. I know, I know it was like a relatively cool day for Arizona, but uh, it seemed like you had that dialed as well. Is that about correct? I appreciate that. Yeah, I think... I never felt it was too hot there. Again, I'm coming off Kona. I'm coming off six weeks in 110 degree weather. So yeah, I felt, I never felt, I was proactively trying to stay cool for sure. A lot of ice and water, but a couple of times I was a little mad at myself because I poured water and then all of a sudden there were, my shoes were soaking wet and I was like, shoot, now this is going to be bad. This could be bad versus like, I didn't even necessarily need to drench myself. Um, but yeah, I think coming off Kona, that was, that was a huge, huge bonus for me. (laughs) So you said with, uh, on the fourth lap on the descent out of Jackass Junction, your failure point might've been like muscular in nature. It was just a matter of like aerobically, you felt fine, nutrition, fine, heat, fine. But, uh, you're trained to like exercise under 10 hours max. And at that point, your legs were in sort of uncharted territory. So, and I don't want to like explain your answer for you. I apologize. But like, is, is that sort of what you were experiencing? Exactly. Exactly what I was experiencing. And it became not about, yeah, my pacing or my getting the nutrition in. It was literally each step was painful. <laughs> it was me trying to figure out how I could shuffle best with the least amount of downward force onto the quads. <laughs> At this point, do you have any, do any competitive instincts remain? Like, are you still, do you still see yourself fighting for uh, one of the two golden ticket positions or a podium position or, you know, competing with Nicole and Casey, who I think are running in fourth and fifth at that point? Like, wh- where, where is your mind at as uh, the legs are starting to fail you a little bit? <sighs> Originally, as they started to go, I had no thoughts about the positioning. It was literally get to the headquarters area because that is what was coming into my mind of like, am I even going to be able to finish this? Um, and so that was the initial fear because I was in that much pain of, wow, this is crazy. This is, I've never felt like this before. And I've done massive training blocks, big training runs where you wake up the next day sore, um, but not this sort of level. So the initial thought was that like, wow, this is what they're talking about. Devin passed me. um, It would have been right before that final aid station um, before you get to headquarters. So probably five miles um, until I could get to the headquarters area. So she went by flying um, with another female. And in my mind, I had forgotten the pacing aspect of ultra trail where you can have a pacer. So I thought she had linked up with, um, another of the females in the race. And I was like, Oh, that's in my, initially I was like, Oh, that's super cool. Like, that's what I love about what I've followed in the sport of like people run together. And like, I got to run with people that first couple laps and they were probably like, Oh, let's okay. Like one lap to go, let's go together and run together and pick it up. And so they flew by. So I thought I went from first to third. And so then at that point it was like, okay, 
Like you're out of the top two. It's literally survival at this point of like, how are you going to get through that last lap? And I was just doing, I guess, inventory in my head of, okay, what is going to help you get through? Like even walking that last lap. So I had to break things down. I break things down a lot in Ironman. Like you go by either miles or time. And I'm like, okay, just all you need to do right now is get to headquarters. And that was all that was going through my head of, okay, four miles. <laughs> and so I, I didn't realize that at the end, it was a sort of a sprint finish between you and Casey for fourth and fifth place. <sighs> that was like, you ask if any competitive, like, nudge kicked in i so there was this little i guess rise um as someone who was there you probably saw that the rise up yes. and then you make a left yes. the finishing circle which like i was coming up that rise and made the the initial left where all of a sudden there are a ton of spectators everyone's there cheering everyone on and all these crowds started cheering and which they had every lap, just the crowds and volunteers there were so incredible. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. I'm actually going to finish. I'm going to be able to do this. And it's like, I heard people started yelling like, yay, go Casey. And I had <laughs> that Casey because of Hoka. And so in my mind, I'm like, what? And all of a sudden she just comes sprinting by and I was able to pick it up. And I, by pick it up, I mean, not very much, but for probably like 20 steps and but she was already gone. And I was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. That has happened to me once in 15 years of racing in an Ironman. And oh my gosh. this is a hundred miles and someone, I mean, that's, but that's what happens. Like that is what has happened to me in Ironman the other way. I've passed people with, yeah, like very little to go. And that's why to have that mindset of like, anything can happen. you like, it's not over till that finish line. And yeah, it's, it was crazy. <laughs> I think by all accounts, especially among fans of the sport, like myself, uh, you had a super impressive debut ultra. We're roughly eight, nine, 10 days removed from the event. I'm guessing you've had some time to process it all. Do you feel uplifted? Do you feel content? Like where, where is your mind at in terms of, uh, your your thoughts on the sport right now oh wow yeah no i just i feel super uplifted i feel re-motivated i feel just excited because this is yeah i think if you enter any new sport or anything you want to go after or any goals i mean obviously you either are going to love something you do or don't and i i fell in love with it as much pain as i have been in even over the last 10 days. Um, I would say it probably lifted a few days ago, but I've barely been able to, to walk very well. <laughs> so you take that out. I mean, I just, yeah, I loved it. I felt the biggest sense of accomplishment when I got to that finish line more than I would say any triathlon I've done, because for me, it was actually like, I finished that and that came into question out there. Like never in an Ironman have I wondered if I could finish. Like I've always, I don't know. I've just, I, I've known I could walk the marathon and bring it in and make that 17 hour cutoff and all mm -hmm. that jazz. But for this, I literally didn't know if I could physically walk the last lap, um, let alone get to that finish line. So 
it was this huge, like, holy crap that just happened. Um, and then, yeah, over the last week, it's just been this, like, uh, yeah, what could I have done? How could I have done this better? Like just all the analysis of, there were so many things I feel like I could have done so much better. And it's that, that's that addiction to improvement and progress and, okay, I want to do the, when can I do the next one to try to do it better? So <laughs> that's been the week of, yeah, the last week I would say. And it lasts about an hour every morning and then all of a sudden I get super tired. <laughs> Given uh, that you've also been experimenting in the gravel biking scene. And then of course you have all this experience in the triathlon world. Uh, what are, could you compare and contrast your impressions with ultra running? Like if you like surveyed what Havelina looked like versus Kona versus big sugar, what are your first impressions of what our culture looks like? Uh, the culture for the trail run, again, this is my one experience with Havelina, but it was, so awesome. It, it was the culture, the community, the vibe I've been looking for. I feel like I've been missing. I would compare it to some of the gravel events that I went to this year as well. Um, I had that same sort of feeling where people are there to race and they're there to get the most out of themselves, but there's also so many different individuals there for so many different reasons and plans for different journeys out there. I mean, some people, I think we're at Havelina knowing they were about to be out there for 30 hours and they were so excited by that. And like, they just wanted to come and enjoy the company and be out there and walk with friends and, and do that. And the joy and excitement in the, like that positive energy um, of people just being, yeah, I guess a little bit more laid back than I would say the triathlon scene. And mm. I don't know if that's just, how things have shifted in my eyes in triathlon or it really has shifted over the years where it is um, a lot more intense and high performance and very like down to the littlest thing you do. Um, like you would never be on your feet walking around the day before the race. Like you're in bed, you are feet up. It's like, yeah. and if you're not, then you're not taking it seriously or you're not, you know, preparing the best you can, like those little things versus, you know, we went over to the expo to check in and people are doing a beer mile and it was just <laughs> cool. Like it was so much more laid back than some of the, the triathlon races, um, at least recently for me. And again, yeah, I think it's, it could also be my view on it of how it's shifted, but it was really, really cool. And I, yeah, I loved it. Just a couple more questions for you. Uh, I've had, Numerous people tell me that uh, triathlon sort of represents the avant-garde when it comes to like the latest nutrition or training philosophies or whatever. And given that you've spent so much time in that world, is there anything you've noticed so far that our community might be quote unquote sleeping on when it comes to like supplements or running technology uh, that you're bringing from your experience there? Like anything that might've worked well for you that you think should see more adoption in our community. Like we talked about the altitude to tent earlier. Um, mm. And I saw some interesting brands in your YouTube video that Wadi made. So uh, it made me curious. Oh, um, feel free to, to mention them if, because I'm trying to think of the, the, the headband thing, the headband yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. I brought that up. I was really surprised that I haven't seen that um, 
in some of these running races, especially the hot ones, because it's called an omeus headband and it's actually lava rock that's okay. cooling. The second you get it wet oh, and nice. I'm not sponsored by them. Um, I, they, they gave me the headband for free. I will state that, but like, I wouldn't have worn it if I didn't believe in it or, um, uh, think it worked. And I wore it at Kona this year as well, because the second you get it wet, it is, it's like freezing. It's almost like dry ice on your head. So even if it's not cooling your internal temp, it makes you feel colder. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think it works. It, it makes me feel cooler for sure. Um, <laughs> Super cool. The one thing that came to mind was the nutrition aspect. I would say part of Ironman racing is having that dialed in. And I would say I carry that over with me to have Alina, but at the same time, it's, I feel like there is a whole different level of dialing in that I could do for say a hundred mile race because I lasted about what I do in an Ironman, the eight or nine hours of the very sugary, um, like straight glucose gels, chomps and, and hydration mixes. But, mm. um, I right around that point, the eight or nine hour mark, I was gagging at the thought of more sugar. So for me, I had to switch. I had luckily made some salty things, salty potatoes, and we had all the things at the, the headquarters area, but it was a matter of like, yeah, like maybe again, all the things going through my mind for the next race, like proactively having some of those earlier on, like dialing in those for nutrition or nutrition options that are less, I guess, yeah sugary bay. I don't know. There's so many things with that, that I felt like the second you get into that point where your body just does not want that anymore. It's, uh, yeah, it was crazy. I literally started gagging at the thought of it. Super cool. Um, I think this is probably the million dollar question that we'll close on. Uh, will you be investing further in the ultra running community and racing community in 2023? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Yeah. I can't wait for 2023. I'm like anxiously awaiting feeling recovered like now to maybe lay out a training. I Well, I guess, yeah. Part of the excitement for me is just this process and enjoying every day of like laying out all the different options. There looks like there's so many races out there of like how you would even plan a season. I have no idea or the different types, the different terrains, what I would even do for training. Like suddenly ramp up from a marathon type training to, yeah, I just, all of these are the unknowns and that's what's exciting to me because it's a new thing to, I guess, explore and experiment with and, and try. So yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for 2023. I, I would tell you if I had an idea, I guess my initial thought, um, there are two Hoka races. There's the bandera race and then there's the uh black canyon so i guess i'm looking at both right now probably black canyon i could just drive up to because we'll be in tucson um but just yeah plotting in different events and and how that looks and trying to map something out i'll also race um gravel still i think for me it's great training it's Hmm. it's i love it it's also yeah really good for fitness. So it's mixing the two and that's my plan and seeing if that's possible. Um, 
and how that would look. So yeah, right now we're just kind of plotting, I guess, plotting and planning. (laughs) Super cool. And I forgot to ask earlier, but are you self-coached or now that you're making the transition to full-time gravel and trail running, are are you going to hire or work with uh, somebody in the ultra scene that's specific to our world? Yeah. I mean, currently I, I don't have a coach, so that's another uh, another avenue Wadi and I've been chatting about, like, should we probably have someone overseeing this or like, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I know how to train for an Ironman. I've done it for so long and I know what works for me. Um, mm. that said, obviously I don't know the longer stuff. I know uh, coming off Havelina where I think I could improve, but how you put that together, um, yeah, could certainly probably use some people who are much more experienced. So definitely in in the talks. Awesome. Well, Heather, it's been such a joy to have this conversation as, as a fan of the sport. uh, I want to thank you because you just add another layer of excitement and and validation to this, this growing world of trail and ultra running. So excited to see what you do in 2023. We'll make sure to link to all of your relevant social media, the YouTube channel and the show notes. Um, before we go, anything else that you want to leave the audience with any calls to action before we go? Oh, no, just a, a huge thank you for having me on and all the support and can't wait to meet more people in the trail community next year. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsored discount codes in the show notes. Thanks again. We really appreciate your support. Really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.